1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: Earth has at least 600 million to perhaps 1 billion years left before the sun begins to grow. And we lose the water, we lose the oceans, we lose the atmosphere. That's some time for us to think about and contemplate where we need to go to survive a species. Eventually we will have to emigrate off the planet.
0: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today?
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption. The secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs,
0: here's Richard Serrett. Welcome aboard. It is so good to be here. Antonio Paris, a professor of astronomy at St. Petersburg College and the director of planetarium and space programs at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, is standing by and we'll get to him shortly to discuss how to get to Mars, how to build a colony on Mars and uh, the absolute necessity of getting there and getting there quickly in advance of some cataclysmic event, some extinction event here on Earth. My word, he's a very interesting man with some very heavy credentials. He is, as I mentioned, a professor of astronomy at St. Petersburg College, the director of planetarium and space programs at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, Florida. All right, uh, back to uh, Antonio. His uh, his course uh, centers on a survey of astronomy and an introduction to the characteristics, origin and evolution of the solar system, galaxies and the universe. Additionally... He incorporates ancient astronomy, cosmology, astrophysics, interstellar travel, and the search for life in the universe into his lectures. Professor Paris, moreover, is the chief scientist at the Center for Planetary Science, a science outreach program promoting astronomy, planetary science, and astrophysics to the next generation of space explorers. He has a Master's of Science in Planetary Science from the American Public University and was awarded a Bronze Star Medal for Valor while serving as a U.S. Army intelligence officer in Iraq. My word! Professor Paris' latest publication is The Physiological and Psychological Aspects of Sending Humans to Mars, published in the Washington Academy of Sciences in 2015. His research centers on the implications of prolonged spaceflight, which includes radiation, the cardiovascular system in space, and long-term nutritional concerns in a microgravity environment he's the author of two books aerial phenomena and space science additionally he's also the director producer for the documentaries area 51 a history of this reclusive base and skinwalker he's appeared in dozens of radio show web uh, shows webcasts and tv shows including unsealed and close encounters and now he's right here on the conspiracy show professor paris i presume how are you
2: I'm doing pretty good. I hope you can hear me fine.
0: Indeed, I can. My, my! What a uh, an incredible resume you have. Uh, you do talk about extinction events. This uh, this is something you are yeah, uh, sure. concerned about. Now, what in particular has you most concerned in terms of an extinction event? Is it uh, a, a, a comet? Is it an asteroid collision? What's out there lurking I, I, in the blackness I, I would of space?
2: Say I would say in the near future, what really concerns me more is probably a human, uh, a human, uh, you know, extinction event, whether it's a virus, a disease, war, war, especially, especially in our population. But if we pull that out of the side, the human factor, um, you know, the, the, the earth has seen past extinction events, at least five in the last 400 million years. I would say that the most concerned right now would probably be, uh, an impactor like an asteroid or a comet. And recently, scientists like myself have been worried about a potential gamma-ray burst or even a corona mass ejection could potentially cause a, uh, a mass extinction event.
0: So uh, uh, an EMP, uh, another Carrington mm-hmm. event that, uh, that happened in the 19th century that at that time wasn't even noticed uh, aside from the fact that it knocked out the telegraph system. But of course now, <laughs> of course, we're so dependent on electronics that I've heard mm-hmm. Uh, literally, you know, within six months of such an event, you could have 90% of the world's population extinct. That's how dependent we are on electricity.
2: I totally agree with you. Uh, we're, we're all connected with, with electricity, but it's probably more than that, you know. Um, how we power our houses, hospitals, you name it, everything depends on electricity. And, and if those things go, I mean, literally within months, millions and millions of people will die. And I think the... The most dangerous thing about that is is the human factor. Humans, humans will have to fight for survival, and that's that's basically where the famine and destruction comes. Will be the human to human contact, and the, the after effects of any any type of tragedy. We've seen it in Katrina. We've seen it in uh, earthquakes, where it's it's the human. Uh, it's, it's actually the humans that are more of a threat than the post-event itself.
0: Right, I agree with you. You know, people are fond of mm-hmm. saying things like, oh, man is at his best when things are at their worst. Well, that's true for about the first 24 hours. And exactly. then things get ugly, don't they?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we saw that here in Florida, in the, uh, you know, there in Katrina and New Orleans where... Um, it was not, you know, the hurricane did kill a lot of people, but it was it was the, the rioting, the after effects that really caused a lot of damage itself. And it's, if you go to New Orleans now, a lot of that stuff it still has not been uh, repaired. It, it still looks like the hurricane was yesterday. Um, things have been abandoned, they're not being taken care of, and people are still sick. You
0: you mentioned the EMP, and, and we also talked about asteroids. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any. Particular rocks out there uh, that that concern you. That uh, I mean, we occasionally hear of uh, a near miss, which could be you know several hundred Mm -hmm. thousand miles. But is there anything else um, on looming on the horizon you're even mildly concerned about?
2: No. Well, probably about the year 2029, 2030. There's a relatively decent-sized asteroid called Apophis, and it's about 325 meters. So that's that's decent enough to cause some catastrophic uh, impact here, um, but it's, it's not big for an uh, you know an extinction event. It's, it's not it's a planet
0: killer. Us. It's not a planet yeah, killer.
2: Gonna, yeah, it'll, it'll miss us by about thirty-one, about nineteen thousand miles. Uh, so that's you know that's relatively close. Um, but as far as we know on the horizon, and I, I've been studying uh, near Earth objects, which you know neos, for a while, and I. There are really not many that, you know, that, that really concern me right now. But, that, you know, that, that's not to point out that there are none that we don't see. There, you know, there could be a lot of them that are, are behind the sun, which is very, very difficult for to see. And those are the ones we really worry about. You know, we know the ones that we can see, but it's the ones that we cannot see are the ones that are potential catastrophic. Um, for something that, that's, that's catastrophic, it would be something at least one mile wide. Um, that's something that will probably cause mass extension. but you know if, if history shows, uh, you know, there's always a, a small survivability rate. So mankind perhaps could survive um, if we stay uh, somewhere deep enough for a, a period long time where the radiation dissipates um, and the cloud cover dissipates. But if, if you notice in the last you know 400 million years, this, there's been five massive extinction events, but but somehow nature, at least the small creatures, were able to survive and flourish again. So, you know, if there was a mass extinction event in the future, I, I think there's a good chance that um, some some species will still survive. But nevertheless, it, there comes at a point, you know, we estimate at least Earth has at least 600 million to perhaps one billion years left before the sun begins to grow and uh, we we lose the water, we lose the oceans, we lose the atmosphere. So that's some time for us to think about and contemplate where we need to go to survive as a species. And you mentioned that uh, eventually we will have to emigrate off the planet. Um, and well, there's so, a line of thinking so that
0: that is sort of our destiny too—to uh, spread yeah. our seed out there. Uh, we would have
2: to if, if, if we're going to survive as a human species, because Earth 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 is 4.5 billion years old, and when you look at it it's basically on social security right now it's retired it's on social security and 600 million years in the timeline is not a lot you know compared to the to the uh uh age of the universe mars mars is a good first stop it's like you know that pit stop on your way to uh, disney or where you know where your family's caged is. but eventually uh the red giant will also make mars uh not hospitable it's, it's, it already has a thin atmosphere it doesn't have a uh, a warm core, thus no magnetosphere. So the first colonies on Mars will have a lot of stuff on their plate. You know, radiation is going to be a major concern. Um, the Martian regolith and dust is very dangerous. How so? Uh, gets, How so? Yeah, well, if it, 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 it gets into the lung system, it, it's basically carbon dioxide glass that you're breathing. Carbon so,
0: dioxide and, and glass.
2: Yeah, and, wow. and it also it's really destructive on the rovers, if you notice... Uh, um, so the solar panels will be basically useless. The good thing about Mars is it has a lot of winds, so it, is, it does clean off a lot of the solar panels. All right, what do you make
0: of this, uh, excuse me, Professor Paris, This uh, having you on quite timely, because uh, according to some reports, NASA tomorrow will announce that they have discovered water on the red planet. How mm-hmm. important is that uh, to, uh, for future plans of, of, of colonization?
2: It's very important that water. Water can be used for so many things. Let's not even talk about drinking and potable water, but water. Can, the hydrogen can be used for power. Uh, the oxygen itself can be extracted from the water, so has multiple uses. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to announce tomorrow. I, I think I'm leaning on what you're saying. I I, I I think that's what it is. It's some type of uh, water was found, or at least ancient evidence of water, um, perhaps really deep in the regolith. Uh, it, with such a thin atmosphere, the only possible places where water can survive, where, where it's still intact, is probably really deep fissures or, or uh, craters, where there perhaps might be some still perpetual darkness, like on the moon, and perhaps the, the water there can, can survive. Uh, but the thin atmosphere and the low pressure really makes it almost impossible for water on the surface to, to, uh, to exist. That's uh, not to say it could be deep in the water or something. It's kind of cool, but um, if, that's the, if that's tomorrow's announcement, that's, that's huge. That's, uh, that makes it a little easier for humans to survive on the red planet.
0: Uh, how important would the existence of water be on the planet if we aim? And I don't know if this is uh, achievable. And uh, I'm projecting, you know, hundreds of hundreds of years into the future. But how important mm-hmm. is water uh, for terraforming a planet? And maybe you can explain what in terraforming,
2: uh, is. Yeah, terraforming is. Terraforming is trying to uh, reverse at least the, the the process of an atmosphere being degraded and making the atmosphere a uh, hospital again. You know, that's basically lots of water in the atmosphere. Um, and the difficulty of that is is that we're, we're, it's still a, a race against a dying planet. The planet itself is geologically dead, um, uh, and that's because it's a, it no longer has a warm core. A warm core is necessary because it's actually it's what gives us a magnetosphere here on Earth. Without the magnetosphere... Uh, we will become geologically dead, like Mars. So, so it's just a rock, essentially.
0: It's a it's a big rock in space. It's
2: yeah, basically that's what it is. And, and people always ask me why is it geologically dead. Well, it's smaller than Earth, and the compare a good analogy is is if you have a large potato and a small potato, and you put them in a microwave, and you take them out. Uh, Mars is a small potato. It's going to cool a lot quicker than the larger planet like Earth. Mars has already cooled off, it's, it's lost its warm core, uh, it's geologically dead, and thus the chain reaction begins of, of, a, of a planet losing its atmosphere, uh, losing its pressure, uh, becoming exposed to solar winds and radiation.
0: So it's, it sounds like it's you're saying it's beyond the point of no return.
2: It's probably beyond the point of no return, and, and uh, most of the research I've done, I think Mars will be the pit stop for something further perhaps the the moons of of Jupiter, like Europa, Um, potentially lots of water there. And and as you know, the mission to Europa just got approved. So hopefully in about 11, 15 years, we'll finally reach that that moon. But eventually, uh, I I think people, it is possible. It is possible. And there's a lot of research and a lot of papers have written on Terraforming Mars, but the energy requirements involved, um, and the time necessary—literally, it'll literally take thousands of years. It, it's not like the movie uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in, they terraformed it in within 20 minutes. Oh, that's—that's
0: that's based a on that's—is is that taking into account Moore's law?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's—we're—you you you, fi- just said it. We're—we're we're, we're fighting against something that—that's geologically dead. I don't think we'll have the energy resources. To uh, to terraform a planet, where we can use that same amount of, of energy to perhaps, in my opinion, is to build interstellar or intergalactic spacecraft and build generation ships, generational ships, and I think that's I think that will probably be the only way for a human species to survive in the long term.
0: Right. So then, why Mars? It's it, because it's an intermediate measure.
2: I think it's not just more. It's it's basically the next step in exploration as as humans. Uh, we are explorers, and the red, red Mars is the next stop. And that's basically, you know, it, it, it involves everything from politics to science to, you know, uh, human endeavors. So you put all those things involved. We, you know, we don't want to go to the moon. We've been there already. Um, Jupiter is, is way too far for right now for humans to, to actually even contemplate that trip. But Mars is the next step for For, human, for and I like to use the word, Exploration, quote unquote exploration. Um, but as I stressed earlier, I don't think we can survive there for too long. Uh, anything, any human, ha- anything over there would have to be artificial. We have to live in habitats, perhaps underground. Um, there's some research now in living in ancient lava tubes uh, or caverns where we can be protected by radiation. But that's basically it, guys. It's it's we we're, we're we're still going to live in, in what they call life in a can. Um, you know, the excursions outdoors have to be limited. Um, replenishment is going to be very important. Uh, could, the, we, the, could
0: we build habitats on the moon where we could grow food? In fact, there's a, um, there's a movie out now um, about, yeah. about this very thing, Mars, and an astronaut lands there. They, he's been written off for, for dead. He shows up on the radar, and he's, yeah. he's got a greenhouse going and, and, and so forth.
2: Yeah, hydropods are, are, are possible. You know, the space station doesn't, um, and they're relatively easy, you know. At the museum and the industry where I work at, we have one where the USF built one for a potential uh, mission to Mars. So it's pretty neat. It is, they're easy to build, um, very self-sufficient. And so, yeah, that, that we would have to. We would have to build and grow our own food. Uh, we, we would have to extract the oxygen and water from the atmosphere or the regolith because launching spacecraft and rockets back and forth are, are, are very expensive. How long does a so, trip take you
0: know, uh, using good old rocket fuel? How long does that trip to Mars take? Six months?
2: It takes about six six months, uh, you know, depending on, the, on how the, the planets are aligned. Um, there is talk about new technology that perhaps you can get it in about three to four months, but that's still on paper. Orion, um, the Orion mission is, is it's, it's, they mentioned six to eight months depending on the payload, but but it's about six to eight months to get there. Um, a minimum stay of about a year and a half, because the planets will have to be aligned again in another six journey, another six months return. So you're looking about almost three years for a round trip mission. Um, the human body, is also,
0: though, is the so, human body uh, designed to take? Uh,
2: it's not. It's not.
0: What it's happens not. to the human um, body? What's going to happen to a human body, even one that's in great, even if someone is in top physical condition? What's going to happen, you know, three months or six months out? Six months back. Well, basically, you,
2: basically, the body just starts to degrade. There's, um, you know, one of the, the most important and uh, things that we have to worry about on a mission to Mars is radiation. And when Curi- the, when Curiosity was en route to to Mars a few years ago, it detected and recorded um, within its six months enough radiation that it actually exceeded the life. The, uh, the uh, career of a of an astro astronaut twenty years, so we need to figure out how to protect the astronauts uh, heading there. And there's a lot of ways uh, the spacecraft could be built. It could be surrounded by a magnetic field, um, perhaps water tanks, which which are do pretty well in, in absorbing radiation. But I think that in a micro microgravity environment the body really begins to deteriorate. Um, first one is the musculoskeletal tel- system. The body is it, here on Earth. We have gravity. We're walking. We build muscle in space that does not happen. So the body basically uh, degrades. It's called atrophy. And the muscles degrade. The bones begin to get thinner. They, uh, they frizzle out. Lack of vitamin D Uh, cataracts are very, very important. The Apollo astronauts, within hours of of being on the moon, complained of painful cataracts, um, flashes of light. One of them explained it was like somebody punching him in the face constantly. That's because the radiation was being disposed into the cataracts. Um, So you're going to age, a person would
0: age rapidly. It would would knock off decades off of their life, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, and I, I think one of the most Critical components of long-term space travel is something called we call the orthostatic intolerance, and basically, it's almost like you, you, when you and I sleep for too long, right? We, we could barely get out of bed, right? Uh, because the muscles basically began to waste away. Right. So imagine being in zero gravity, excuse me, microgravity for six to eight months. Um, you're not just gonna pop up, pop open the hatch, and expect to walk. You, you see the astronauts come back to Earth. After just a few months in space from the space station, and they're being carried out, right? They're on wheelchairs um, because they cannot walk when they when they come back to normal gravity. So, a long-term mission to to Mars, uh, they're going to have difficulties. They're not just going to pop open the hatch and start researching. Don't well, think
0: about it's. It sounds
2: bodies are acclimated.
0: It sounds. Know? It sounds like you know the odds are just stacked against us. I mean, it doesn't sound like. Um, it's certainly not a picnic. I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of... romantic. don't
2: don't get me wrong. It could be done. There's a lot of prevention strategies uh, that we'll be taking. You know, they will be doing exercises, uh, taking uh, supplements and things like that. But nevertheless, you know, the the six months, eight months there, it it will have... We're still learning a lot about humans in uh, zero gravity, and everything begins to shrink. Okay. To shrink.
0: All right. We uh, uh, the, 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 okay. Let me just yeah. uh, jump in here, uh, uh, Antonio. Thank we're you. coming into a, a break here. We'll come back and continue to discuss the mission to Mars with Professor Antonio Paris. It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me the entire week. And every morning I have a 16 ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse Every day. It gets the guck out, as Get the Tea co founder Ronnie McMullen likes to say. I have tremendous energy and a clear and focused mind. I'm never gassy or bloated, and good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Do yourself a huge favor and give it a try. Go to getthetea.com and have a look around. I love the teas, but there's so much more at Get the Tea. There are products for glucose maintenance, your hair, skin, eyes, cardiovascular health, and immune support. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com.
1: As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's
0: all wrapped up in this stuff.
1: <laughs> CONSPIRACY UNLIMITED, WITH RICHARD
0: SERRANT. Antonio Paris uh, is with us, professor of astronomy at St. Petersburg College, director of planetarium and space programs at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, and he's also the chief scientist at the Center for Planetary Science. All right, so, you know, you, i got to be honest, you're not painting a very rosy picture. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I would certainly, I mean, there was a lot of uh, people, sign, you know, volunteering, and want, they wanted to be yeah. the pioneers that were going to land on Mars. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, I tell you, uh, after listening to,
2: I know, I mean, That'd I would not easy. sign yeah. up
0: for that. I would not want to pull the short straw on that assignment. It sounds like hell, <laughs> quite frankly. It sounds like <laughs> hell. For <laughs>
2: the listeners right here, I want you to go outside. I want you to go to your car, tint the windows, and I want you to sit in your car without getting out for eight months. If you can do that, if you can sit in your car with tinted windows for eight months without getting out, you are a prime candidate for the uh, Mars mission.
0: So you think the first habitats are going to be that small?
2: Um, They will have to. An ideal mission to Mars would be to send unmanned, drop the pods, and um, eventually when the first colony arrives, there's something to... For them to live in. Uh, But eventually it's going to be a a slightly larger Apollo mission. The the spacecraft becomes the habitat at the end. The biggest concern and the biggest issue, unfortunately, is money. It takes billions and billions and billions of dollars to launch a spacecraft into orbit and send it to Mars. That's the biggest drawback. If money was not a concern, there would be rockets launching every hour, right, to Mars. That's the biggest concern. It, it, it's, a, it's a big issue when it comes to money. And then selecting the right people from a physiological and psychological perspective. One thing we didn't mention is, is the psychology of being in a tin can for three years. That's going to have a toll on people. We, we've seen sailors and submarines go crazy. We've seen uh, explorers up in the Arctic spending years alone go crazy. So a psychological screening for Mission to Mars is also a Another big step.
0: How many would you send up the first
2: time? I think uh, Orion's shooting for four to six. They really haven't decided. And
0: then would, would they be uh, separated in their individual pods, or would they be able to interact?
2: I, I think they would not be in the individual pods. I think it would be one large habitat that was probably built there, kind of like Legos, little by little. Okay. Okay. Um, that's I'm not, I'm not sure what's table. happening
0: with your with your phone, Professor Paris, but I keep hearing a, a, sounds like you're pushing a, a, a button and it keeps cutting out. I'm not sure what's happening. How
2: about now? Is this better?
0: So far, we'll see. Okay. Okay so so um, the, I, the, think,
2: I, think, I think in inflatable habitats, they're working on inflatable habitats where um, think of them like like big inflatable domes that, are, that are, can be protected by micrometeorites um, and some radiation exposure will probably be our best bet. Um, they're easy to stow, and once you get there, you can inflate these uh, habitats, and that that's probably the way to go.
0: Okay, so uh, now I'm feeling a little better. Now, it sounds like for the first four or six people, this Orion project, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough for them, but the, the ones that come after, uh, that will have a much larger habitat, uh, it's going to yeah. get easier each time we go up. Is that the idea?
2: Yeah, that's that's the intent. The intent is, is uh, you know, for each individual mission, it's kind of like the, the International Space Station. It's built um, uh, per launch, per payload. So it gets larger and larger and larger. Um, and as it gets larger, then, uh, it's, you know, you have more crew members to to man um, the habitats on Mars. I think initially it's going to be mostly scientists and doctors, and engineers, uh, before you see any uh, families and things like that. Um that actually go there and, and die. I think most initial astronauts will return. It, um, I know there's some private entities out there that want to do a, a one way mission to Mars. Uh, that's a possibility. Uh, so you know, give us a, give us them. some
0: time markers here. Uh, first of all, uh, if you know all hands on deck and we put the necessary resources yeah. into this, how soon could we get this first? mission to Manned mission to Mars, where they they start to lay down sort of the the, the building blocks. How, how NASA, long? NASA NASA's
2: hope NASA's uh, milestone right now is 2035. 2035, 2035. 2035, the Orion mission is is off to Mars. Um, 2036, they, uh, it's boots on the ground, and that's that's their vision, and that's kind of the the, uh, the mile markers and the, that they set. Other companies out there, like Mars One, are a little earlier, 2025. Um, uh, you know, I like Mars One, but there's a lot of uh, speculation whether or not it's, it's actually feasible.
0: Uh, all right, so uh, 2025, 2035, in that window somewhere, we'll have boots on the ground, as you described it, and they'll be building these little uh, tin cans initially. Uh, but then from there, we could have inflatable inflatable uh, domes, and, uh, I mean, that really opens up uh, you know, the possibility in terms of, yeah. you know, we could have I- essentially uh, hotels up there. We could have swimming pools, uh, greenhouses. It could be quite comfortable.
2: <laughs> it, it could be, yeah. You know, given enough energy and, and necessary resources, after a couple of hundred years, of you could have a, a potential decent-sized colony up there. Um, I think the biggest drawback, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is reproduction. Uh, radiation has a real toll on sperm and, egg, uh, and eggs. And um, basically, NASA has concluded that six months in space basically killed and destroyed uh, the testes. Uh, you know, the sperm cells in the testes. Oh, so, boy. All right. Well, yeah. how, how
0: are we going to get around that one?
2: Well, we you know, it, it, believe it or not, and this might sound a little weird, but the NASA astronauts that go into the space station um, – from what I understand, is that they actually have their sperm cells uh, frozen, so that when they return back to Earth, and that's not a conspiracy. That's actually true. True science, right? Okay. So if they come back to Earth, um, they do have a way of reproducing um, artificially.
0: Yeah, but here um, on Earth, what about producing on the Red Planet?
2: We don't know. We haven't. We haven't done the science. We we tried to do the science with rats, and, and it's been inconclusive or, or failed experiments. But it's. Uh, You know, eight weeks, the science shows that after eight weeks in in, uh, microgravity, uh, the testes or the eggs on the females begin to get damaged by radiation. So that's that's an issue. That's an issue. If if we're going to survive as a species, how are we going to reproduce? Um, And we just. There is no answer to that right now.
0: Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, and I'm coming, I, I put everything through my, my faith filter and so forth, but uh, excuse yeah. me, I know you're a man of science, but it sounds to me like, I mean, we, uh, the big man in the sky just does not want us out there spreading our seed.
2: That's a possibility. We're, we're humans. We're, we're our, this is our home planet, our species. Um, it, it could be that nature has selected us to, to be constrained to this planet.
0: All right. Well, let's assume you know, that we we, we find think, yeah. uh, we, let's assume we find a way around that, um, yeah. uh, some sort of shielding mechanism or so forth. So you're saying that it, it would take a couple of hundred years before we could have a viable uh, population up there. Now, uh, w- yeah. w- what are we talking about? A thousand, two thousand?
2: I'd maybe maybe a thousand or two. It all depends on are we there commercially, which probably would be faster if the commercial space industry. Um, figures out a way to make a profit, and why we're there, they would do it a lot faster than the government. But easily, yes. It, it, okay, let's, let's let's take this back. If we launch a crew of six, which seems about the right payload, once, twice a year, so we've got, what's that, 12? 12, uh, 12 times 10, that's 120. So, yeah, in about 100, 100 years, you can easily get 1,000 people up there.
0: Wow. That's a long... Hall, isn't it? <laughs>
2: I in mean, migration. It's not. It's not like we're going. It's not like we're packing up in an our apartment and moving from Tampa to uh, Miami. It no,
0: is, it is not. It is it dangerous. Is
2: it's a dangerous trip. Um, there will be failures along the way. If you if you saw this year alone, would we lose about three or four launches, right? Yes. SpaceX, uh, Orbital Sciences, all lost the spacecraft. So there will be failures along the way, um, and we learn from those failures. Hopefully. There are no human casualties on the way to Mars, but it's going to be slow. It's going to be really slow, and I think for you and I, uh, we'll still be around 2035 when the first humans uh, colonize Mars and return safely, hopefully.
0: But isn't this all uh, assuming that there isn't some black swan uh, event? I'm not talking about a... uh, a, a an extinction event. I'm talking about some yeah. technological development. I had a, well, I was hosting Coast recently, and I had a, a guest on, who said that, you know, warp speed. We know we know how to do it now. We just we need to locate. We need to find a way to, to tap into the, uh, essentially the antimatter that's all around us. Um, but he he said that warp speed, could be within our grasp, in the next 100 years.
2: Yeah, I saw that article too. It's totally possible. Um, it's it's all about money. Who has the five hundred million dollars to launch uh, uh, an endeavor like that to build build that? Um, there are a lot of different types of rocket propulsions on on the books, different ones that we can reach even uh, um, fairly close to the speed of light if it's long term acceleration. But it's it's about building something that's feasible and quick. You know, and we we just don't have the technology right now um, to build something. People, what? you know, it, and, and the analogy is, like, you know, people, it, I always use this analogy. It's like Christopher Columbus, you know, not building the wooden ships because he's going to wait on airplanes before, he, you know, to go to America. That's not really possible. Right. He's going to go no matter what. Right. So we've got, basically we got is dingy little ships. Sales going to Mars, and eventually we'll get better. Technology will get better.
0: Uh, and and uh, what about these intergenerational uh, ships? You're talking about having uh, um, people in space for yes. for generations. So it could be mm-hmm. 100 years. Um, yep. in, and this would be uh, the idea, of course, is going to, to, to distant stars or. or...
2: Yeah, it, eventually we'll have to find a habitable planet. And a habitable planet means something that's comparable to Earth. Um, We are slowly starting to learn that there are lots of habitable, not habitable planets, but a lot of extrasolar planets in the the universe. And we just need a habitable planet that's relatively close, a couple of light years away, and it'll be generation ships that'll get there thousands of years later. Um, How do we do that? Could it be frozen embryos uh, that eventually awaken and robots will, will be the parents? Or the generation ships where it's the great, 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 great grandkids that eventually reach the final destination. Um, cryogenics. So we put, uh, a population to sleep and eventually wake them up as we get there. Those are all possibilities, but the bigger picture is eventually if we're going to survive, we have to find an habitable planet to actually survive on. And Mars at, at this point is not, is not really the ticket.
0: Boy, there are just, there are no shortcuts here. There's no magic wand. Uh, This is hard sledding ahead of (laughs) us, isn't it? I,
2: I, I, I I think if you look at technology, how, you know, catapulted in just the last 15, 20 years, I think, I think, uh, about 120, maybe 100, 200 years from now, um, that'll be a possibility. We'll have better engines. Um, it'll be a point where Mars is just a, you know, it's, it's a, trip down the road, maybe a month or two, and perhaps thousands of years from now, if we haven't killed ourselves off in a war or something, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have some really cool technology, better engines, that'll get us really, really a lot faster, um, even past uh, beyond the solar system.
0: All right. Uh, we have about, uh, I don't know, four and a half minutes uh, left. And yeah. I, I, um, I couldn't let you go without talking about, I mean, you have a very interesting background. Uh, I mentioned yeah. the Medal of Valor for your your intelligence work in Iraq and of course we have the Center for Planetary Science. Uh, but you are also you are involved in this documentary on the Skinwalker Ranch out in uh, is at Ballard Utah I believe. Tell me about yeah, that. Was that. Fun. How did you become involved in that?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm I, I like to study uh foes um, on a part-time basis. It used to be a really Almost a full-time basis since I got a real job that pays the bills. So one of my, one of my cases was from various people who witnesses who said, okay, you got to come out to Skinwalker Ranch. And so my team and I, um, went out there, uh, and we investigated the ranch for a couple of nights and it was a really good experience. We did see some strange stuff, a couple of strange orbs, a couple of strange, uh, shadows here and there. Um, unusual movement on the ranch, but uh, it was a shotgun investigation, a drive-by, and I hope to go back. Um, I couldn't really make any conclusive evidence of what that orb was or what the strange shadows were, but I, I would love to go back and investigate it. It's a very eerie place. Um, I w- I, we interviewed a lot of people, dozens of witnesses out there, including the sheriff, state police, the the, the tribal police, and what's interesting is that for every person we ask, uh, one would say, "Oh my God, it's been crazy, strange activity, UFO, paranormal, you name it." And then you can interview the person right next door, and they would say, "I haven't seen anything, and they've been there for 20, 35 years." So the the whole, if I if I've got one minute left, the the uh, I guess the the theory is that Skinwalker Ranch is a portal. It's a portal for something. Uh, for strange activity, um, and this this thing they call this 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 entity can manifest itself to whatever it wants. It can manifest itself to an alien, uh, a werewolf, um, a skinwalker, uh, black triangles, ghosts, demons, um, and that that's why we went to go investigate. Is to see what is this thing, why was it there. The big conspiracy is that, and this is what your audience is gonna like, is that the ranch is owned by Bigelow, and a yes, uh, yes. big conspiracy guy, and the the guards. There's actually guards there. Uh, it's a company called URS. Uh, URS used to be E.G. and G. It's the same company that uh, that protects Area 51. So currently, so it's currently the same. And he's company very big into private space
0: met. exploration as well.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's big into that as well. So is he not the building? Is a big, a little,
0: isn't he building that grand some grand. of these habitats that he thinks could be used on Mars?
2: He's building one for orbit, for for orbital ah, uh, orbital okay. habitation hotels in space. All right, but the same technology um, it's also being uh, studied for habitats. Not just on, on uh, Mars, but also on the Moon.
0: Okay, so sorry to interrupt, but so back to the ranch. So yeah, Bigelow yeah. owning this ranch uh, and the mm-hmm. security involved in the sec- the uh, the camo guys, right? The camouflage guys. Yeah.
2: Area so 51. apparently, the, 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 the conspiracy is that Bigelow is is trying to exploit the the uh, this portal that's there for perhaps um, uh, wormhole travel. We you know figure out if, if if there is a portal there. First of all. Um, can it be used for other purposes, including uh, space travel? So that that's the theory. Um, at least that's uh, one of the theories.
0: It's an, I mean, I mentioned your resume being kind of a mixed bag. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your your colleagues? I mean, it's a pretty conservative group, is it not when we're talking about astrophysicists? Uh, what do they yeah, make so of well, your your extracurricular activities?
2: Yeah, they love it. In fact, most scientists I know are all closet uh, UFO lovers and things like that. My, my oh, is that right? A little different. That's interesting. I didn't oh, know that. yeah, of course. Uh, my story's a little different. You know, here in the military, I was injured, unfortunately, so I um, had to get out of the military and went to college to study uh, astrophysics. And that's still so two careers. But nevertheless, it's still a hobby um, as long as I when it comes to science, I stick to the scientific process. And when it comes to pseudoscience, I stick to pseudoscience. I don't try to mix the two. I can use my background skills uh, to study UFO phenomena, uh, but I have to be careful not crossing that line. And most people understand that. So I'm, I'm still being published. I'm still writing books um, because the two never actually, you know, cross waters.
0: Well, I am uh, very pleased that we finally met uh, Professor Paris, and I hope you'll come back again and again. Thank you for this.
2: Okay. All right, buddy. Thanks
0: for everything. A new Conspiracy
1: Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day.